This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody. nobody. Because advertisements nobody. suck. Nobody. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. We have a repeat guest in the building today. Our MVP. Ticket, 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 ticket. TK Coleman is in the house. Um, uh, unfortunate circumstances. Uh, I was hoping we could talk about, like, uh, I don't know, Stockton versus Jordan today, or yeah, I guess that would make Ryan Jeff Hornacek. Um, I like basketball. Um, and I, I will try to keep the mood uh, relatively light, but we have a lot to talk about today. Um, we just recorded an episode with Dave Rubin. I think this episode might actually come out a week before that, and there's a reason why, and I want to get into it. But we, we actually recorded the episode with, with Dave Rubin right before all of these riots started mm. in Minneapolis. Yeah. And um, he said something on the podcast, and I challenged him on it, although I do regret not challenging him even farther than what I did. I mean, basically, we I think what Ryan just said is we have to agree to disagree on this one. Yeah. Uh, I really like Dave Rubin, and, I, and while I don't agree with everything he says, I'm... I appreciate that he's open to a, a new line of thinking, and he's also very open to changing his mind. But one thing he said, TK, is that America is the least racist country in the world. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, what I should have said is, well, what about Mexico and Canada? And and I should have like listed, I don't know, a dozen other countries yeah. that. And, and and I think what's going on right now with. Um, uh, George Floyd, his his death, his mm. his murder, I, I think you could say, mm -hmm. by a police officer in Minneapolis. Um, I, I guess the question is: Is that part of something that is is more systemic? And it seems to me that that Dave Rubin didn't uh, didn't believe in sort of systemic oppression or or racism, and and so today I just kind of wanted to talk about race relations. It's a topic that. I think it's unfortunate we even have to talk about mm -hmm. because I believe I believe in color blindness, not in the sense that like I can't tell what color your skin is, <laughs> but it, it it should be as relevant as your hair color. Uh, like I will, I should be able to like tease my redhead friends that they have red hair, but like it shouldn't it, it shouldn't um, it shouldn't be more than that. But unfortunately, we have a long history, especially in this country, of oppression and racism and. Um, I'd like to think we're out of that. And many of us are of a mindset where we are out of that, or at least we think we are. Mm. Um, but TK, you're, you're a good friend of ours. I mean, you've been on the podcast, I think, more than anyone else. And um, this isn't something we, we typically talk about on the podcast. And as opposed to me and Ryan just get on here and talking about race relations in this country, <laughs> um, I thought maybe we, since you're already in town, we're working on something else that I can't tell people about yet. It's a top secret project that will be out <laughs> Uh, in less than a year, but um, hip hop album, <laughs> <laughs> right? Hip hop Christmas album. <laughs> I thought we would talk about this today. So um, maybe we start with with what's going on in, in Minneapolis. What what happened to to George Floyd? For folks who 
who need to be caught up on this and and what are your initial thoughts on it maybe we have a discussion maybe there's even some things we disagree about mm -hmm. um and we can go from there yeah i imagine most people have seen the video or heard it but maybe we should do a recap just so people have some i haven't context. seen it honestly like okay. I, yeah yeah i haven't dug into it's it it's really disturbing yeah, yeah it's very disturbing well it's harder to actually find the original footage now because everybody's so quick to put their stamp on it you know, the first 100 search results are gonna be videos of someone providing commentary, uh, and then they'll show you like 10 seconds, but it's an eight minute video. And essentially what you, what you have is, uh, based from the, from the perspective of what you see, you see um, police officers approach a car and they, they get a man out. And, and from the angle, you can't really tell if there's resistance going on there, but, but they pretty quickly cuff him and they, they walk him, you know, on the sidewalk and they give him instructions to sit down and he sits down mm -hmm. and him and an officer are, are talking for a while as he's cuffed and so forth. And he does appear to me to be like, maybe he's drunk, maybe he's high, maybe he's like, you know, a little loosey goosey. And as he, cause as he's walking to the wall in handcuffs, he's not like walking, you know, the most, but yeah. it's one officer. There's more than one officer on the scene, but one officer clearly has the situation under control and it doesn't look like anybody is afraid. It doesn't look like anything abnormal is happening in terms of, you know, violence and things along those lines. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and, and, some, and, and, and so that's the footage that we see from the security camera. And then the other footage, the, the part that was released first is what we see through the cell phone camera where we see George Floyd on the ground right outside the police car and there's an officer that has his knee on his neck, mm. and um, there and, and there's another officer that's standing next to him, kind of keeping the people with the cell phone camera at bay. Mm. And the people who are recording it and watching it, they're they're yelling at them like, "Hey, like you don't have to keep your knee on him like that. You don't have to do it that long. Like you guys have him restrained." Right. Um, the officer didn't have his gun drawn or anything like that. It, it looks like you know there's probably a few options for how you can keep the guy restrained. He's handcuffed. He's face to the ground and he's got his knee on his neck and I believe it was about eight minutes mm. that he kept his knee on his neck Damn. Um, and, and and after a while you can see the guy the guy is saying multiple times I can't breathe I can't breathe I need water I can't breathe it's horrible and, by the uh, way this isn't the first time we've heard I, I can't, can't breathe. breathe no no we haven't mm -hmm. heard that the first time mm. um, and, and so he says it multiple times and eventually you see uh, the guy looks he appears to be lifeless mm can't say if he's lifeless or not but he appears to be lifeless and um and, and the whole time man the, the people that are watching they they are yelling at them saying you know hey get off him or at least check his pulse or whatever it may be mm. and it just kind of looks like the, the this is a bit of interpretation but kind of looks like the cops double down a little bit you mm -hmm. know like you guys are yelling at us we're going to do this the way that we do it we, yeah, we're right. the cops we're the experts we know what we're doing mm -hmm. and uh and, and and then so they called medical and, and and you see like an ambulance pull up and you see a couple of uh, guys in, in, in police uniforms get out. I actually don't in the video. I actually don't. You take a look and tell me if you see something different. I actually don't see any any people in any kind of gear that we associate with medics. Like medics. an EMT. Yeah. You don't see anything like that. You see a, you see a couple of cops, you know, get out and, 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 and they're 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 in their uniforms and they they put him on the stretcher or whatever mm. and they put him in the truck and and they're out of there and that's all we see mm. and um and, and and of course there is a context you know um a lot of people feel a lot of different ways about this and, and we can dive into it not I, I love the philosophize about it but it was a black man and the officer who killed him was white mm -hmm. and there are some people in this country who when they look at something like that they say 
let's make race the last thing that we bring up. Let's only bring race into this if we've exhausted all of the other explanations. And then there are other people in this country who say, no, 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 we can't treat race as it's the last thing that we're gonna bring up. We have to consider that as a factor given the history of tension in this country, given the unique origin story of this country as it pertains to black people and white people, given the history of tension between police officers and black folks, this is a problem. This is reflective of something systemic. And so that's the debate, and it's not just a debate. This comes on the heels of, of a few different incidents that have occurred that, that appear to be racialized. You know, I, I believe the woman is Amy Cooper. There was another incident where, um, there was uh, a black man who, from his side of the story, he was out bird watching, and from his side of the story, oh, Amy Cooper in was Park. in Central Park. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And Amy Cooper had her dog off leash, and um, they got into an argument about that. And um, you know, she she wasn't agreeing with him about leashing her dog, and so according to him, he he keeps treats on himself because this is kind of a common problem, and it's a way that he forces people to leash their dog because people generally don't like other people giving their dogs treats. Mm -hmm. so, he, so he started to do that and then she leashed her dog and then they begin to go back and forth and then she's yelling at him and, you, and he records that part, uh, the part where she's yelling at him right. with the cell phone. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and she's threatening, she says, I'm gonna call the police. And, and she specifically says, I'm gonna call the police and tell them that an African American man is threatening me. Uh -huh. um, and, and, and so he says, you can do whatever you want, right? And so she calls the, the cops. and. Mm -hmm. No incident occurred, you know, um, w with him, but she's pretty much been canceled as a result. Right, lost like he, her job. Yeah, she yeah. lost her job, and like, man, she's been taking mad heat on on Twitter. And again, there's a divide. There are some people who are saying, "Hey, what she did was bad. What she did was stupid." But that guy isn't perfect either, and maybe we should treat this like a normal human altercation, right? How many times on a given week do two people disagree about something? act immature about it mm -hmm. and just say things they shouldn't say, but everybody at least leaves physically safe. Like why make it about race? And then there are others who are saying, hey look, if for no other reason than the fact that she linguistically invoked the term African-American, right. we can't run away from the possibility of race, right? Because right. She, she knew that that would have power when she oh, said, yeah. I'm going to She was tell implying, like, yeah, the cops, yeah, yeah. if I tell them you're a black guy, the cops are going to be out here even faster. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm going to tell them that you're an African-American. Can we yeah. pause real quick on, on the two terms here? So, so um, my brother, who happens to be black, always has a problem with the term African-American. Yeah. Now, he used to always mess with people. We worked at the same restaurant together in high school. And you know, when someone called him African-American, he would always say, like, well, I've never been to Africa. You know, he would like to just kind of mess with people, too, yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. Like, like provoke them because they, they were a little bit uncomfortable about it. Mm -hmm. um, it. And it seems to me like words like that are often uh, euphemisms in yeah. a way. And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, almost a sign later uh, when we maybe even on the Maximal episode, I want to talk about virtue signaling a little bit. Mm -hmm. But we, we see it being ta taken a bit too far. Um, when, uh, for example, there was a reporter who was reporting on South Africa, and instead of saying the white uh, South Africans and the black South Africans, she said because she was very caught up in the political correct speak, politically correct speak, she said the white South Africans and the African-American South Africans. <laughs> Wait a minute. And, and, and you start yeah, to yeah. realize that some of these terms, while well-intended, mm -hmm. they also um, 
uh, they don't always make sense in different mm -hmm. contexts. Yeah. Where do you fall on 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 euphemisms like this? Yeah, man. I, you know, I, I think the purpose of of language is to um, try to create a bridge um, across which we can transfer ideas and understand each other, um, to create an efficient way for us to exchange thoughts and feelings. I don't think the purpose of language is to put ourselves in a position where we have to walk around on eggshells and we're afraid to speak. Like, oh, do I got the right name? Did I call you the right name? Right. Oh, no. Right. Um, if there were not room for us to get it wrong, there would not be room for us to learn. For what does it mean to learn other than to, to make a mistake or to commit an error and receive feedback from reality that says there's a better way to do that? So we have to allow room for uh, people to give us feedback about um, what manner of speaking to them is most effective? Mm. When it comes to when it comes to talking with people, and I, I think there's an interesting debate going on right now about being offended, and and you have some people who kind of dismiss the value of that. They say, well, if you're offended, you're too sensitive, you're a baby, things along those lines. But the way I like to think of it is this: if you are the one who's communicating, the question you have to ask yourself is, is it important to you? that people receive your message. Mm. If it's not, then you're communicating either to hear yourself speak or for entertainment or to appease the people that already agree with you. And I actually think that's okay. I like funny, I like provocativeness, and I like entertainment too. And let's be clear, at least half the people in politics and in discussions on race, they're not speaking to convince people who think differently than them. They are speaking for no other reason than they know there is a guaranteed response from the audience that's backing them, mm -hmm. right? It's entertainment or it's preaching to the choir. And if that's your goal, then all right, like you're getting what you want, right? On the other hand, if your goal is to get someone to listen to you, then it behooves you out of self-interest, not out of political correctness, not out of subservience, it behooves you to adopt a manner of speaking that will allow you to get what you want out of that communication. So if I say, Josh, can you hand me uh, that pen? And you break down and start crying and you're like, TK, man, why are you always gonna talk to me that way? Mm. I'm so selfish, I want the pen. Right, And if I see that my way of talking to you is preventing me from, from getting that pen, uh -huh. I, it behooves me to figure you out. I want to figure you out. Not because I love you, not because I think you're crying for a legitimate reason. Up here, I'm thinking that's a really stupid thing to cry about, but I care about the pencil. And mm -hmm. as long as you're sitting here crying about it, uh -huh. it's delaying me from getting what I want. So I'm going to try to learn from this experience and ask myself, What's a way of asking people like Josh for the pen, mm -hmm. for the pencil, mm -hmm. that allows me to smoothly and efficiently get what I want? Because that's a better experience for me. It's now not about placating you. Let, let's so, so, let's map this on to what's going on right now. And and yeah. I mean, what you're saying is a perfect. Uh, analogy for social media as well. I mean, yeah. it's the reason why I wouldn't engage in any conversation like this on social media. Be, be, not because it lacks nuance. I'm fine. I'm, I'm yeah. a good writer. I can, I, I can include nuance and even, even in a tweet. But the problem is, is, is there are people who are ready for rage there. It is a, it is a place in which, uh, the, the inciting of, of, of rage and, um, anger and, and maybe even recreational outrage yeah. is it, it, it's completely different from this where we can have a conversation yeah. and, and it it's almost seems like they set up social media to be a place for conversation, but sure. it is not really, it is not really that. It, and Ryan, you and I found this early on when we started doing remote podcasting, like it was fine for a little while, mm -hmm. but 
it it wasn't the same thing as even getting in a room with someone right. and being able to have this conversation. You miss something yeah. when with the digital screen, the barrier there. When when I think about social media, I th- one of the problems too, I think, and maybe this is what you're heading towards, is that you know if you were to make a statement, no matter what that statement is, like you could say it to not offend some people, but there's no way you would not be able to not offend everyone. Like there's somebody primed and ready to be offended no matter how you put something. Well, having a personality is offensive. (laughs) Right. Inherently so. If you genuinely believe that you have a way of being or a or a way of communicating that offends no one, I can assure you, and 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 I say it as nicely as I can, I can assure you you are naive. Mm. I can assure you that you have not experienced the world broadly enough to meet the kind of people who could be ticked off by every aspect of who you are. Mm. And I can introduce them to you. If, if someone out there, if you think you're non-offensive and everybody loves you, I can introduce you to several people who will hate you for that reason. You can just like, tweet I, him, I, he's I, at TK underscore <laughs> But yeah, you, you know, having a personality is offensive. And so yeah. you're never going to know ahead of time. You're not gonna have guarantees ahead of time about mm-hmm. what works. But part of relationship building is being open to the feedback that we get. now. We all have significant others. So I'll use an example there that I think anybody with a significant other can understand. How many times have you used a word that has worked for you all your life mm-hmm. and it's created no problems for you, but for whatever reason, in a way that you couldn't predict, you might use that innocent, neutral sounding word with your significant other yeah. and it rubs them the wrong way, yeah. right? They don't like it. Um, for me, that word is sure. And I discovered that when my wife would say sure to me, right? If, if I say, hey, do you want to do such and such? And you say, sure. I react as if you're kind of blowing me off. Or like, mm-hmm. you think you're doing me a favor? Sure. What the heck is that? Right. Yeah. And I had to discover that about myself. And and it's something that she discovered about me. And and, and look, you know, I, I'm, I'm flexible enough to allow people to say sure to me. Mm-hmm. But there are moments in life where you kind of discover, all right. I don't think there's anything wrong with the way that I said that, but it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. And I can exercise my right to talk the way that I want, but I'd rather get what I want than be right. There's yeah. this awesome verse in the Bible that says, all things are permissible, but all things are not profitable. And when you're choosing your actions in life, do you just want to limit yourself to what's permissible? Mm. Well, I have the right to do that. Legally, I can do that. You can't lock me in jail for talking to you however I want. I've proved my (laughs) point. But yeah, like I want something out of the conversation. So I'm going to structure my speech in a way that I believe will be most profitable. And I think that's something that gets lost in these discussions. And I have a theory why. But I want to pause because I just feel like I've been talking for a long no, time. But fine. I have a theory why. Well, you, um, you just mentioned well, let's sort of tangentially. You you alluded to this other co- conversation we were having with uh, Dave Rubin, and he said he didn't believe in in hate speech, which I thought was a, a strange way to phrase it. Because um, I believe that hate speech exists. Yeah. I, I I don't know whether or not it should ever be illegal. I believe in freedom of speech as well, and, and so. Uh, I believe that you're allowed to use hate speech. Yeah. A- a- and uh, this is another thing my brother would would often say is like, I would rather someone you know be racist to my face than like you know, yeah. behind my back sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, so talk about that. Talk about hate speech and, and, and what are your thoughts on... Uh, I, I Actually, I think you probably even have a different thought about you, you would rather someone... Uh, well, you tell me. Would you rather someone uh, be openly, you know, sort of uh, overtly racist or covertly racist? Overtly, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I prefer. 
because I believe that ideas have consequences mm. and I love to see alignment between people's ideas, actions, and consequences. Mm. Um, the more you are able to hide who you are and what you think, um, then the less you are facing reality. And I think that's worse for you. I think that's worse for everyone. I think it's good to get a dosage of reality, mm. right? Um, so yeah, I prefer it overtly. And I, I actually support policies and practices that encourage people to come forward and be real about what they really think. Because you're not doing me any favor by pretending to be something other than what you are. Mm -hmm. And I also, we don't have to get into this, I think there are a number of free market dynamics that punish that kind of behavior swiftly if we don't protect people and make it so darn easy for them to hide. Mm. But, um, you know, as, as far as hate speech, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard Ruben talk about this, so I'm not sure what he means, but I'm gonna take a guess. I'm gonna take a guess at what he doesn't mean. I don't think he means it's impossible to use speech to express hate because he gets that in his YouTube comments all the time, right? Yeah. People saying, I hate you. I think, I think what he's probably getting at is something along the lines of we shouldn't have this special category of negative speech that's exclusively reserved for, for maybe uh, bad things said about my minorities, mm -hmm. right? Like, like we already have hate speech in the form of you're stupid, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about and you're dumb. Yeah. You should shut up and end your podcast right now because you're a worthless piece of whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. We already have that and I think what he would argue is, hey, whether someone hates you for being black, for being a woman, for wearing black, for loving women, whatever it may be, it's just speech. Mm. And some of that speech is hateful, some of it is loving, some of it is constructive, some of it is, some of it is deconstructive. But if we can kind of step back and, and maybe like neutralize all of the connotations that come with hate speech, maybe we can think about it a little bit more critically and clearly. I'm guessing that he's getting at something like that. Now, yeah, what, he, yeah. I think what he was saying was how you can say like, I hate you, and you can be like, oh, I hate you. Or yeah. you can look at someone and be like, I hate you. Yeah. And it's it's the it's the uh yeah, the the intent. That's where it comes mm -hmm. from. So I think what he was trying to say is that yes, you can be a hateful person, you could use words to be hateful, yeah. but there's not there's no words that you could just put a label on and say, Well, that's considered hate speech. Am I am I right on that? Yeah, I, I think I think so. Um what do you think? Is America the most, the, the least you think it's racist, the least racist country, country in, in the world? Well, first off, I don't even know what data you look at yeah. to make that judgment. All I can tell is like what, you know, what's in the media, what's, you know, what are the tensions that are out there? What are things that, you know, consistently happen? But it's like, I mean, is there even data you can look at to I say think you could what, poll people? What country? Yeah, yeah, but it's, but it would be an opinionated poll. Do you feel? Yeah, how, how would you measure that? Because mo most people who, um, B believe in racism and yes there are people who don't believe in racism yeah. in fact i think belief in racism is more offensive now mm -hmm. than than actual racism but that's mm -hmm. another topic what do you mean but, by that belief in racism is more offensive more offensive than racism yes um that if we are not seeing it right now mm -hmm. and, and i can say this without requiring you guys to take any particular side on it mm -hmm. but there are people who if they observe something that another group of people say that's racist, mm -hmm. they are not offended by what they observe, but they are deeply offended by the claim that that's racist, oh, okay? So okay. so what I'm saying is, if you if you want to make a whole lot of people mad, I can give you a really easily, easy, predictable way. Mm -hmm. Just go say something's racist. Yeah, but that's, oh, just, 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 just go, right. and, and what I'm saying is like, belief that racism is a good explanation 
for many things that happen in our world is a very offensive belief to many people. I'm not saying it's offensive yeah. to me. So no. if I said that blue shirt's racist, you're saying that's more offensive than... Is that, is that what you're saying? No, no. What he's saying is... there, there are, well, here's l- 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 Can we use George Floyd as, uh, just as an example? Yeah, let's do it. Right? Um, the, the debate right now, <laughs> I'm not saying it's the real debate. I think there's a more fundamental, important debate we should be having. But the debate right now is whether or not this is about race. You listen mm-hmm. to the people that are mad at the folks that like you have people that are mad about George Floyd dying. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And then you have people that are mad at those folks oh. for making it about race. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, so, so on one end you have a group of people saying this was racist and that offends me. Mm-hmm. And then you have another group saying you're making something that really isn't about race about race. And that offends me. I'm offended. You're offended. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so so yeah. let me let me just add this real quick. There's also this there's a great way to shut down every conversation. Yeah. Also is to say tell someone they're racist. Right. Uh and, and so it wouldn't offend me if like someone on Twitter was like, "Hey, you're a racist." I would just be like, "Okay, why because to me, like, I don't know that person. Yeah. Or if Ryan were to say, "Hey, you're racist," I would just be like, "Well, you're wrong." Let me explain why. You, why I, I feel think like if you're someone wrong. just tweeted you and been like says you're a murderer, <laughs> like you're like, it, it would be very okay. similar, similar <laughs> to me, right? Yeah. Um, but there are there there are people who want to continue to engage in a conversation with someone else. Yeah. And that's a great conversation stopper because it's it, responding to that is like responding to, you know, yeah. uh, TK, tell, explain to me why you beat your wife. And it's like, well, um, I, I, I don't beat my, but, and, and yeah, all of a sudden sure. it shuts the whole thing down. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, so let, let me address this question. Is America the most racist? So first yeah. I agree with Ryan. I don't even know. How we began measuring that? How do you quantify that? No, no, no. no. So the, the actual quote is, "America is the least racist country on earth." Okay. Yeah. So agree or disagree? I I would like to reject that statement as so utterly irrelevant that I would never waste effort forming an opinion mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is 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 my marriage the least or most happiest on the planet? Right. Who cares, yeah. right? Like like no, me, your wife cares. I, so, no, 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 no. She doesn't. Here's what she cares about. She cares about our happiness mm-hmm. based on our goals, mm-hmm. right? So if we're not achieving our goals, it doesn't matter if we're more happy than you and Bex, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and if we are, it doesn't matter if you guys have more. I mean, is, isn't that what this whole minimalism message is mm-hmm. about, right? Like disparaging your own level of happiness and success, which you otherwise would be content with mm-hmm. because you see somebody that has more. Right or right. letting yourself off the hook. If you know you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you're gonna let yourself off the hook with something weak like, oh, but I'm the least. You know, like imagine if I'm mm. a bigot, right? Yeah. But I'm around a bunch of other guys that are more bigoted than me. <laughs> like, it's it's okay for me to let myself off the hook. Like I'm the least bigoted guy in the room. Yeah. Right. I'm the least bigoted guy in the room. It I doesn't think- care, man. You're still a bigot. Maybe right. you should spend more time working on that mm-hmm. than taking pride in the fact that you're the least, least of bigoted, the worst. Yeah. I'm a bigot, right. but I'm the least of now, the worst. Yeah, and, yeah. and actually, that's a great way to put it. It, the, 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 it wasn't phrased as the most not racist. Mm-hmm. It was the least right. Like, like when you think about it, they're saying, yes, we're racist, but we're mm-hmm. not as racist yeah. as, what, Honduras? I have no right. idea like what you're even comparing that to. To your both of your points, yeah, yeah. I don't know how you would measure that. So, so TK, um, I, th- I think that's a, a phenomenal point. Um, in that question, or in that statement, there is, uh, there is an, uh, you're admitting in a way that, okay, the, 
we're still a racist country then by, yeah. by making that statement in a way. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of a distraction that misses the point for why you feel the need to say that mm, to people, right? Yeah. And, and here's why. So yes, there is a celebratory aspect to that. If, if, there, if there is a certain vice that we are not as terrible at committing as other countries, then, then maybe that's an indicator that we're doing something right and we should take pride in that. However, the people in this country who complain about race complain about it because they live in this country, right? Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not invoking the issue in some abstract philosophical sense that's detached from human experience. There's no one saying, you know, America's, well, maybe there is somebody saying America's the most racist. Maybe there is somebody saying that. <laughs> but like, that's not why people care, mm -hmm. right? It's not like if you whip out a stat that says, actually, they're more racist than Sweden. And I can prove it with this empirical data here that that person. Well, now who I'm says, relieved. <laughs> <laughs> I feel safer. Right. Right. They're gonna be like, "Oh man, my bad, bro. Like I made that mistake." Right. Yeah. You know, the the people who complain about it complain because they're trying to say something about their lived experience. Right. Right. In this country. I don't know what's going on in Russia. I don't live there. And even if we are less racist than them, can we talk about my life? Can we mm. talk about our life? Can we talk about what's happening here? So I, I would love to talk with him about that. I, I, I would love to go back and forth on that. And I listen charitably and so forth. But yeah, for me, I, I don't care to form an opinion about how, how less terrible we are than mm. other countries in that respect. What I care about is saying, hey, as a country, let's play our own game. Let's set standards for success, just like the best athletes, just like the best entrepreneurs, just like the best achievers. What do they say? We're not going to measure success by outperforming our opponents. We're going to decide what our goals are, what our vision is, and we're going to play our own game. We're going to compete with ourselves mm. so that even if we win 60 games, we're going to say, all right, we got the best record in the league, but let's win 65. Mm. Like, where does that come from? It doesn't come from saying, oh, yeah, we're better than everybody else. Mm. It comes from always striving for more and more greatness, you know? Yeah. How yeah. about we talk about the protests and eventually the riots? Yeah. Another euphemism here is I have seen several news networks. Again, I think maybe being afraid, like, there, I've seen like anchors or, or you know reporters whatever in front of like burning buildings and calling it a protest yeah 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 what blows my mind is because you just had those michigan protests and everyone shows up with guns but the people who show up with no guns it actually turns more violent and, and damages more property yeah i mean it's yeah I, yeah i don't i don't well, know, i don't know what that says but i, mean, it's I think just, we're, we're, we're that's conflating a few things here there's i mean yes the the people showing up with guns are protesting in what i would say is an absurd way totally agree right I believe in the right to protest, and I think it makes yeah. a lot of sense to be able to protest. However, and this might be a controversial statement, I don't think in our lifetime, so let's say in the last 40 years, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how effective protesting has ever been. I mean, there's this John Mayer line about who's ever changed their mind by what was written on a sign. But you know what's messed up, though, mm -hmm. is because of these riots... Uh -huh. Like the the cop got arrested. Well, and that, that's my point. Is there are times where yeah? It, Do you we, think it's because of the because of the riots though? Yes. Okay. And, and, and let me let me just say this. Uh, and then TK, I want to get your opinion. So um, we can talk about MLK versus like uh, Malcolm X, but Martin Luther King he totally condemned rioting. 
but he also simultaneously condemned the conditions that led to rioting. Right. And so if we were to move, remove it from this context altogether, you go back to the, the Boston Tea Party. What was that? That was a riot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we, might have call, we might call it euphemistically a protest now, right. but that was a riot. Right. And, and what's happening now? Well, why, why did the Boston Tea Party happen? Because they felt like they had exhausted all of their means with the government. Right. They, they had taken it to the extreme and they mm-hmm. felt like there was nothing else they could do. Mm-hmm. And now you have people in Minneapolis, uh, who many of them, um, well, actually, let's, let's say some of them are certainly opportunists who don't care about right. justice or anything like that. Yeah. If you're taking a hammer to a ATM in the Target parking lot, you probably don't care that much about justice. Right. But there are many people who are beginning to riot right now. Uh, some of it is is violent. Some of it is not is, is just destructive, but not violent. I don't know. We can talk about the definition of violence here too. But there are there are some people now who have felt like we've exhausted every avenue. We've tried to protest. We've already said I can't breathe. We've had T-shirts and bandanas. We've talked about it. We've created hashtags. We we we've we've done everything we can do, mm-hmm. and we are still not being heard. Well, how how do we how do we solve that now? Mm-hmm. Well, the the next level is let's do a Boston Tea Party, right? Yeah. Now it's going to be different from that because there are different circumstances. Whatever. We're also in the middle of a pandemic, which makes things very strange, right? There's already boarded up retail shops mm-hmm. right all over the place, and so you, you you're in a weird place. It seems to me that you could. And this is no pun intended. You could have more targeted riots uh, that wouldn't happen at Target. You would, yeah, you know, like what they did in Columbus yesterday. Apparently, by the way, we're recording this on on Friday. What is the date today? 29th. The 29th. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Friday, May 29th. Um, in Columbus, they like raided the the state uh, the state house the in, in the, the Capitol building. Hmm. And um, in in Minneapolis, they're raiding police stations, and government buildings. That that to me makes more sense. I'm not. Again, I, I would still condemn it the same way right. Martin Luther King would condemn it. Yeah. But I also condemn the circumstances that led to it. Mm. Yeah. You know, if I were interested in co-opting a legitimate movement, right? Let's just say I were an evil villain, okay. an evil villain. I had a lot of connections, a lot of resources. And um, I saw something like the George Floyd thing happen. And I see people calling for these officers' jobs. And then I see people saying, that's not enough. I, I hear people saying, we need to make changes to how we do policing. We're tired of this. I see people starting to protest. I see everybody writing social media posts about it. And I wanted to co-opt that. I would try to create a distraction. I, I think I would be quite pleased with something like what we're seeing with the riots. Mm. Because it would then allow me to shift the discussion from this uncomfortable topic that has been a problem for a long time that we have still haven't figured out how to solve and work together on mm-hmm. to something more like, hey, y'all, we all agree that as a tragedy. That's pretty obvious. But, you know, you shouldn't be breaking into buildings now. Yeah. But but I'm not saying that. And I want to be clear. In fact, the reason the riots are actually stemming this conversation right now. How right. many other uh, black people have died in the last several years when we haven't had we haven't sat down and yeah. had this conversation right. I, I, I got you on that and, and by the way I'm, I'm not I'm not even saying this as a way to justify riots but there, there's a specific reason why I said if I were a villain who wanted to co-opt the movement because I believe 
that is a real possibility that we cannot dismiss. So for instance, um, there was one video of, of a guy in a neighborhood who, you know, um, who was going around like breaking windows, right? Mm-hmm. And you could see the black folks trying to stop him. Mm-hmm. You could see the yeah, folks in the hood like, breaking like, stop, uh, stop. windows in an auto zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then when they they confronted the guy, you know, he threatened one of the guys that was following him around. Wow. And then he eventually got out of there. And apparently the guy's ex-wife or something like that identified him as a cop. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, um, undercover cop. They yeah. Said. Now, 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 what's up with that? What's up with that, by the way? Ooh. Oh, it's just that one time. Uh-huh. It's just that one time, right? Like mm-hmm. th- that only happened one time. But there are a number of videos like that that will force you to ask some important questions about what's really going on. Yeah. Because if you go into these neighborhoods, like, like there are a lot of people who live in these neighborhoods that care about their neighborhoods. And yeah, let, let, let's be real. There are people that have no business using this as an excuse to destroy their own communities. I do believe that's terrible. But at the same time, this is not a monolithic group. It's not like it's just black people out there doing it. It's people of all colors. Mm -hmm. And it's not merely the case that there are just people from one political party or that it's only civilians and there are no cops being involved in this. Can I I add to that? I, I felt a weird sense of pride, like a collectivism almost, when I saw the videos of their multiracial riots <laughs> because I lived in Cincinnati during the 2001 riots. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was I was in a car with four other black people and they still threw a trash can at my car <laughs> because I was like there was hey there's one white guy driving through here and yeah. so like I don't know I felt like oh wow like I could be a part of this group of <laughs> of rioting if I really wanted to. Um it was felt like a strange kind of like regressing but progress at the same time. Right. Progressive regression. Um so, so let's let's talk, TK, about these uh, about these riots, about these uh, protests as well, yeah. because there, there there are also protests that are going on all over the country in Memphis and Louisville and Columbus yeah. and Los and, Angeles, and, Los Angeles yeah. and and in other cities as well. Yeah. And and so most of it is actually protesting. Mm-hmm. We don't hear that as loud as we hear the 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 riots, though. And um, again, well, I don't I, I don't condone it. Mm-hmm. I. I, I start to understand it to a great extent. Now I understand it on two levels. One is the opportunistic level, the the looting, the self-serving, the pallets of flat screen TVs. Yeah, yeah. That's not justice. But there's something else going on here that is a cry for justice. Maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. Is uh, it well? well an understandable expression of anger and rage. Right. Um, for, for the most part, rage is is a way of saying I'm so hurt by what I'm experiencing, but I also feel so powerless mm. and I don't know what to do. Think about it on a nonviolent scale where you're so mad at somebody and they say, hey, is everything OK? What's wrong? And you pout and you mope. You're like, I'm fine. Now, now the truth is you're lying. You're not fine. Right. There's a problem. The problem is you're hurt. Right. You're deeply hurt. You've been wounded and you don't know what to do about it. You're, you're, you're so deeply wounded that you're afraid that if I give you my vulnerability, mm. given the trust that you just broke, you might you might wound me even more deeply. Yeah. Right. And I don't know how to express my hurt to you in a way that's going to give me what it is I need. I don't even know how to do that. Right. So so I express that as I'm fine. That's not an expression of power, mm. although, although it does cause the other person to squirm and beg and be like, well, what can I do to make it right? It feels powerful, but it feels powerful because it's 
it's the kind of power you it's the, it's the best kind of power you have access to mm. when you don't know what to do with your feelings. And, and and we as human beings, we respond to extremes. You know, we can take it outside of race, outside of riots. We respond to extremes. How do we know someone has a gambling problem? Is it because they stop showing up for work and they're always short on cash? No, we usually see the problem before then. But those are the extremes that make us pay attention and decide, all right, we better do something about it. How do we know somebody? How do we know somebody has an alcohol problem? You know, um, I, you know, I, I talked to someone once who told me that um, they kind of suspected that their husband had an alcohol problem when every morning before going to work, he would make a Long Island iced tea and mm. drink it on his drive to work. Mm. You know, but it but it wasn't until two years of doing that every day that it began to become something more like domestic violence oh. that, you know, action, you know, w- was taken on it. And so sometimes, it, you know, not just sometimes we tend to be responsive to extremes. That doesn't mean the extremes are good. That means that our ability to figure out what to do about problems before they come become extremes is really, really bad. Um, and, and so whether it's the people that are doing the rioting or the people that are freaking out saying, how do we stop the rioting? This is all a symptom of a more fundamental problem, which is we've got some fear, some vulnerabilities, some hurt, some wounds, and we don't know how to come together and talk and create in a way that's going to make the world better. So we suppress them, we bottle them up, and then they come out in the worst kind of ways, which mm-hmm. is what we're seeing right now. I want to talk to you about I want to talk. I want to talk to you about that specifically. I want to talk about systemic oppression mm-hmm. um, and, and the circumstances that lead to something like this. I need to take a quick break, yeah. Sean. Maybe we've got some voicemails, some some listener tips and tricks we could insert right here, and then we'll be right back with more with TK Coleman. I want to talk to you about is indifference the enemy. I want to talk about um, what can we do, mm. and also uh, oh, there's a bunch more things I want to talk to you about. Let's listen to some listener tips and comments at this point, and then we'll be right back with TK Coleman. Hi, my name is Jamie. I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. I meant to leave this a long time ago because I feel like it was on one of the debt episodes, but it actually pertains also to the budget. Um, A friend of mine, I can't take total credit for this, but recommended that I check in with my cell phone bill. I had noticed it was really high for two cell phones. And I admit, even though I'm very organized, when the bill comes electronically, I don't always look at it. So I won't give the provider (laughs) name per se, but I did call. I asked to make my bill lower, which they did have something to offer. But then we combed through the bill on the phone, and I had apparently uh, some kind of featured at $3.99 a month for international calling. I never call international calling, so that came off. I had some kind of ringtone charge that was happening I didn't know about. Anyway, long story short, I found all kinds of hidden charges that I did not know that were happening for years. I lowered my bill right then and there by $60, Um, I wanted to wait a few months to see if it actually stayed that way, (laughs) and it has. So it's been about six months. Um, So when we get bills electronically, we don't always look at them. So um, I just urge people to check in to especially a cell phone bill that has some of these charges we might not even know. Because $60 times 12 months of a year has been a huge savings for me um, as I try to get out of debt. 
Hi, this is Joe in Dallas, and I was burning through some old minimalist con, uh, podcasts, and I heard you talking about the ketogenic diet and cured bacon, and I just wanted to throw out there that they do sell uncured bacon at a lot of places now, including Walmart, that have less than one gram of carbs. I want to talk to you about indifference. Mm. And it seems to me that maybe indifference is the enemy here. And I don't just mean with you know, white people or whatever. Any, I, even, I, I hate talking to these terms because you just said, the, you know, obviously black people aren't a monolith. White people certainly aren't a monolith in this country. Um, and, and Oh, you guys get the certainly. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just thinking there are a lot of white you know people. Black people aren't entirely a monolith. <laughs> white people definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to double down on this. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of like, like, I'm thinking of like there's, there's Richard Spencer and there's Eminem. <laughs> and then there's like this weird spectrum in between, right? Hey, there's Larry uh, Elder and Dr. Dre. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, yeah, Larry Elder. But uh, I think they both from South Central. Though. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, yeah, we, we won't talk about Larry Elder right now. Um, but um, or Dr. Dre. Uh, <laughs> but we will talk about indifference. And, and here's what I mean by this: like, I think most of us are indifferent most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of what. Uh, gender we happen to be a part of. Uh, and mm. I don't mean indifferent to, to everything. I mean indifferent to most things that don't apply to us or like we feel like don't apply to us. Mm. And I think that's out of necessity. We can't be passionate about everything because if you're passionate about everything, you're passionate about nothing. Mm-hmm. You mm. could tweet that, Sean. Um, all right, so so let's, let's talk about indifference, especially when, in cases like this. And maybe, as much as I hate to say it, maybe it takes riots that I condemn to, to stop some of that indifference. Hmm. I don't, I don't think it takes riots to stop indifference any more than it takes extreme behavior in other areas of life to stop addiction or abuse. We can always see the red flags. We can always see the symptoms, right? We might see them, but we don't act on it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if we have a pattern of not responding to symptoms, do we, do we want to corner ourselves into a position that says, all right, the solution then is to make sure that we really give somebody something to be afraid about? Or do we say, maybe this is an indicator that something needs to change in how we educate one another, that, that, that there's something we're not being conditioned to respect as being in conflict with our well-being, with our self-interest. Because because the whole premise of saying people ought to be concerned about things that they don't care about is that this really does have something to do with their health, with their well-being, mm. but they're not feeling the urgency. And so perhaps a better job needs to be done at having conversations about what does and does not affect your health and well-being. In fact, in my coaching experience, whenever I'm in a situation where I've got to get someone to care about something that they don't care about. Mm-hmm. I'm never successful at the level of saying, well, let me escalate the consequences so that you can, you know, it can really cost you something. I only succeed when I listen to that person talk about what they already care about. And if I create a bridge between their existing goals, their existing priorities, and how something like this might affect it. So if I'm talking to a child who just can't understand, well, why should I care about shaking people's hands after a sport game? Why should I care about sharing some of my candy with that kid who, you know, wants a piece? You know, 
that conversation goes in the direction of, hey, look, you have the right to not shake anyone's hands. You're not going to go to jail for that. You have the right to say no. But here's what's going to happen. When you treat people that way, that's going to be reflected back to you in the way they treat you. Mm. And so when you come back to me crying, saying, uh, they don't give me any candy. They don't invite me out when they play. They never let me play football with them. I'm going to establish a causal connection between your behavior and your results, mm. right? Mm. That that you can't just be careless about other people's challenges without that somehow compromising your own ability to create the results that matter most to you. But can we, we say that about the police? We can say that about the police now. Like, hey, hey, um, I know most police don't. It's weird because of how I grew up around a, a large portion of black people. I, I, I developed an unhealthy distrust for the police um, where, where I lived. Mm. And I, in, in a weird way, I think it's still sort of embedded in me. Yeah. Uh, and And because I know that like when I was with friends who were black we got pulled over far more frequently yeah. than when i was with by myself or it was just me and ryan driving down mm -hmm, the street mm -hmm. um and, and that's a real thing that happened to me in my life you know growing up my brother was tased twice not it's not that he was doing nothing wrong but he was doing nothing different from what i have done right. Re really quickly i have offended many people just by telling the truth about experiences like that mm. and, and i have never once in my life coupled one of those stories with, and you ought to vote for this person. Mm. So you can't dismiss me in the stereotypical way that everybody does by saying, oh, you're a liberal. Oh, you're just, you just hate Trump. Oh, you're just trying to get Biden in office, whatever. You will never find. Well, I know you and none of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will, you, I, I am taking this one to my grave, man. You will never find TK Coleman using whatever influence God gives him to put the attention on a politician. Mm. That That's one that I'm taking to the grave. That is a life goal, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but. I have offended Unless people. Ryan runs for something, right? <laughs> I mean, you gotta vote for Well, every man has a price. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I've offended people by sharing those stories, but like we can separate it from politics for a second. Yeah. We can separate it from like, but is that the conservative position or the liberal mm -hmm. position? Like if I accept that story as true, does that concede uh, this? <laughs> you know, no, no, just like hear the story. I mean, we, we grew up in, when I was in the fifth grade, my brothers are older than me, we grew up in the inner city, west side of Chicago, but in fifth grade, we moved to a suburb in Illinois, a Westchester, all white suburb. Mm -hmm. I went from the only white people I saw as being on TV to, to you know, white people being all around me, right? Yeah. And I remember things like my, my father had a nice Lincoln Town car and my brother, he would drive us to the park to play basketball or he'd drive us to school. And it was just common. Young black dude in that town car, you better pull him over and just make sure everything's okay. Uh -huh. Just give that some extra attention. Because yeah. what in the world is an 18, 19 year old black guy doing in that car? N now you may say, oh, but maybe it's not about race. Maybe it's the fact that he was just young, right? Because mm -hmm. that is sort of odd for a young guy. But the fact was we lived in a pretty wealthy neighborhood. Mm -hmm. All the kids I went to school with, they came from wealthier families. A lot of those kids drove nice cars like that and couldn't identify with that experience of being pulled over. Right. And fortunately, the overwhelming majority of those experiences were not dangerous. They didn't involve anything that went on too long, but you just sort of accept it that getting your trunk popped and getting your car search, mm -hmm. being asked to step out, you know, Jesus. answering a bunch of questions, you just Gun, accept that as normal. Too. That, that was the thing that happened Shit. to us on more than one occasion, not when I'm by myself, ever. 
But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, guns drawn, uh, yeah. up going up to the window. Not, and now, if I get pulled over, I still have that weird thing in the back of my mind where it's like, yeah, yeah. I feel nervous, even though I, I, then I remind myself, oh, I'm white. It's okay, <laughs> which is a weird thing to yeah, have yeah. to like remind myself. But it's that's the truth. Yeah, and, and that right there shows you the disparity. So, so um, I don't know. Do we call this systemic oppression? Do we call it systemic racism? And do you believe in those things? See. I do, but here's where we have to carefully define our terms and make some important distinctions. I think one of the things that makes philosophical discussions on race so difficult is that we spend most of our time debating the implication rather than debating the idea. Uh, an implication is what you think it would mean mm -hmm. if you were to acknowledge someone's point as true. Mm. An idea is simply the content that's being proposed. But I'm not asking so, that. I'm not asking about the implications. I'm simply asking, you know, we mentioned Larry Elder, so I'll bring him yeah, back up. Yeah. He, will, he would say there's no such thing as systemic racism. But I'm gonna tell you why I think so many people say that in spite of evidence to the contrary. Um, so this whole distinction between debating implication and debating ideas is in the political world, that distinction doesn't exist. If you believe in something like systemic racism, that pretty much commits you to the liberal position on right. what government ought to do about it. Mm -hmm. And so I would contend that most conservatives simply cannot afford to acknowledge points that liberals make about race because that would feel like they are conceding liberals' points about the role that government should play in doing something about that problem, which mm -hmm. is why one of the number one responses you hear being made to people who believe in things like systemic racism is stuff like, oh, you stupid liberal. Oh, you're just a commie, right? Be because it it's equated with being political. And, and for me, I like to make that distinction because I like to say, hey, look, how about we just discuss the ideas? Yeah. How, how, about, how about we look at, you know, black fear of police officers, mm -hmm. not as something that supports or refutes any particular political position because there are a wide variety of ideas that we can have about the role that government should and should not play in solving that. Let's just look at experience and philosophize about it. Um, and, and so I, I think part of the problem here is people put a race on a pedestal and there are two ways you can do that. One way is you can say everything is about race. Mm -hmm. Another way is you can say, oh, race is so evil. It's so bad that we can't let anything be about race unless that's the last possible explanation. Oh yeah, that guy, he's a pedophile, but he's not a racist. Oh, that guy's a murderer, but he's not a racist. Oh, that guy's the most <laughs> evil man I've ever met, but he's not a racist, yeah. right? I mean, it's like we look at racists as being so evil, so unforgivable, so devilish, mm -hmm. that we can't ever invoke that as an explanation unless we've got all the evidence in the world. But I think we put it on a pedestal because am I to really be so naive that I think the human race, which has a demonstrated ability to be tremendously superficial in its capacity to judge other people, like people judge each other and look down on each other because of their economic status, mm -hmm. because of the clothes, because of their hairstyle, because of their accent and the way they talk. And we can just limit ourselves to examples of people within the same race. We as human beings, man, we judge each other for some petty stuff. Mm -hmm. am, I, am I to be so naive that I, that I believe that for some reason we magically lose that ability when it comes to race, that race is somehow the one superficial area of judgment mm. that we never negatively invoke. No, I wasn't born yesterday. If we can hate each other for our weight, 
if we can hate each other for our money and for our outfits and our accents and what school we went to and who we date and who we're friends with, surely we can hate each other for race. So mm. why should I believe that's an exception? I definitely believe that um, there are all sorts of stupid, silly things in this world that happen because we judge each other on superficial things. And race is just one of many things. And because I don't put race on a pedestal, I don't feel the need to make something about race, but I also don't feel the need to make sure something is not about race. Yeah. Like, like there's nothing about my political philosophy that's gonna be affected by accepting or denying the existence of systemic racism, mm. right? And, and I don't think that's true for most people. Uh, in fact, I believe that if you are in certain political groups, for you to agree with one position, position would cause you to have problems with your people, mm. right? So in terms of what, 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 I, what I think exists, I do believe it exists, and here's what I mean by that. I believe that systems exist, and I believe that whether intentionally or unintentionally, systems disproportionately affect different groups of people, okay? Mm -hmm. There are actually some systems that disproportionately affect groups of white people. Mm -hmm. There are some systems that disproportionately affect groups of black people. Whether there's anybody behind the scenes pulling the lever like, <laughs> today I'm gonna bring down all the people of this group, that's irrelevant. You judge it by its actual effects, not by the intentions that drive it, right? So if you take something, for instance, like drug policies, mm -hmm. you know, um, hey, if you're a champion of liberty like I am, you know, um, you've got to believe that it's all whack. You know, the war on drugs, what a facade. Yeah. What a facade. At least if you want to be logically consistent and champion yourself as someone who is a voice for the philosophy of freedom. If you want to play that small government card, if you want to play that free market card, you want to play that pro-liberty card, I want to hear what is your defense for this ridiculous war on drugs? What yeah. is your defense of that? And that is something that disproportionately affects poorer people and black people. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that someone is trying to be racist? No, not necessarily. Maybe. M maybe so, but, but what, what I wanna do is set this up in a way that I don't require you to believe a certain theory about someone's intentions in order to acknowledge someone's negative results, mm -hmm. right? Because you know, if, if you take my wallet and I say, what the heck, man, you stole my wallet. And you're like, well, you think I'm a bad person? Yeah. What do you think, I don't have any money? I don't wanna even have that debate, man. I had good intentions in taking your wallet. <laughs> right, right, you know, I don't wanna have that debate. I just wanna point to the result, like, but you stole my wallet. Can you give that back and never do that again? And, and, I, and I don't wanna have to commit to a theory on if you're a good guy, if you needed the money, blah, 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 blah. And I feel the same thing about race, like, or anything in life. Let's just analyze the results. And if we're not getting results that work, Let's figure out something that does. So that is what I mean when I, when I say systemic injustice. Um, yes, I believe in the existence of systems and I believe that systems have disproportionate consequences. And since I believe that some systems are inherently oppressive because they are propped up by a monopoly on violence, yeah, I believe that's a system of oppression mm -hmm. for sure. There's so many yeah. more things I want to talk to you about uh, on the Maximal episode. We're going to talk about virtue signaling. Maybe we're going to talk about how maybe this is a good thing, especially during a pandemic. And, and maybe we can debate on that a little bit. I want to talk about this Onion headline. Protesters criticized for looting businesses without forming private equity firm first. That's <laughs> 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 a shot at Bain Capital, I think. But we'll talk about that. I want to talk about Joe Biden's comment about you ain't black if you uh, if you vote uh, for Donald Trump. 
which I found to be interesting. I want to talk about white supremacy and misogyny and, and chauvinism. I want to talk about privilege, uh, white privilege, male privilege, black privilege. Uh, I want to talk about Black Lives Matter and Antifa. I want to talk about uh, anti-racism and so-called anti-racism, which is a really fascinating another euphemism, perhaps. By the way, my wife was like, what are y'all going to talk about? And I was like, hopefully anything but politics. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't really touched on politics. Although, right. uh, we, this is I, uh, has become a... It's sad, like you said, it's, it's sad this has become a political yeah. issue. Yeah. Where, it, yeah. it, where I, uh, all of a sudden, if you have one belief, then now you are on the, you are the left side of the fence or yeah. whatever. That's silly. Um, I do want to talk about... Um, can you be racist against whites? That's a weird question. It's come up a lot on Twitter recently. Um, uh, identity politics. This uh, this new term Karens that's out there right now, oh, which is uh, is something I want to talk about. <laughs> what, uh, what, what is? I love how like every time like OK Boomer comes out. Uh, Karen comes out they always liken it to the most derogatory word you could say <laughs> right the n-word yeah. oh and god they're like, yeah. they're like Karen is just like the n-and it's like no it's no. who is it uh, Mark Manson who's like no it's not you're saying Karen that's so true yeah. um, uh, oh I'm gonna talk about my wife uh, Beck's her encounter with uh, some anti-white racism on social media which was was fascinating um, and uh, uh, rather troubling for her and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that I want to talk about the best way for Richard Spencer to recruit racists. <laughs> and I want to talk about microaggressions and uh, a whole lot more. We're going to do that on this week's uh, Maxwell episode on the Minimalist Private Podcast. Uh, it's just a couple bucks. It's a totally separate endeavor, by the way. Uh, this is a place where we actually talk even uh, more candidly about things that we don't, don't necessarily talk about in public because it's just five or 6,000 people in uh, a private group of ours. It's called the Minimalist Private Podcast. You can check it out at theminimalists.com slash support. You can become a supporter over there. That keeps this podcast 100% advertisement free. So thank you for that. So uh, head on over there if you want more of this. But before uh, we, we wrap up here, TK, I thought we would talk about uh, something actionable. Like, what do we do at this point? And this isn't me like uh, being the white guy saying, hey, what do us whites do? Tell me, black guy. Uh, yeah. But what I'm saying is, what do we do as humans at this point? We, we, we're seeing tension. We're, we're seeing racism, clear racism. Uh, we're seeing injustice. We're also seeing some justice, apparently. Uh, it appears that, that today the, the cop who, who murdered Floyd was, was arrested. And, and so that appears to be at least a, a, a part of the you know the justice system or justice happening here. Mm -hmm. But what do we what do we do as humans? Besides, I mean, obviously, I think it's good to have conversations like this with people who are who are willing to have these conversations. You don't have to have them in public like we are. I I know that comes at a great cost for many of you. I, I can't be canceled, which is really nice. Um, you know, Ryan and we don't we don't have any. We're not are you challenging our audience. Yeah, cancel me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can actually. You, th that's the funny thing. You as a as a listener can cancel us. You can unsubscribe. Mm -hmm. um, you can cancel your your Patreon subscription or or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, that's the only way you you can cancel us. But we have supportive people. We're not beholden to you know Tide. Oh right. Or, or yeah. you know whoever. We don't have sponsors or yeah, yeah, it, it, contracts with yeah, I see, yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. so um, we're we're going to be fine in that respect. So we can have these kind of conversations publicly, but it comes at a great cost for some people to have mm. these conversations publicly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Bj Thompson uh, was on my Revolution of One podcast, and we talked about that. Like, by the way, fee.org slash rev one. Yeah, check it out. Check it out. Um, uh, great video version, man. It, it's uh, we need to show Jordan the video over there. Looks really good. 
I appreciate it, brother. <laughs> but yeah, we were talking about how, how can you find the courage to be bold because we all have things that we want to say, but then um, th- there, there are prices to pay. And one of the things he talked about is equity. Th- mm. This is one of the great arguments for equity, um, for, for the application of entrepreneurial thinking to every area of your life. The less you are beholden to people, the more free you are to be who you truly are. The more of yourself that you have to censor because, well, you know, I don't want to offend TGI Fridays, you know, with what I really think about this issue, then then the less freedom you have. And you don't have mm-hmm. to despise yourself for being in that situation. Um, you just have to you have to make trade offs. But but this is actually a good argument for things like creating wealth or for making the investments necessary to give yourself the kind of freedom in your career um, to do things the way you want to do them. And that doesn't just take the form of becoming independently wealthy. It can also mean, hey, I'm not going to take money from people that I don't want to be beholden to, even if that solves problems overnight. You, you know, know? You, you, it's funny you, mm-hmm. you mentioned that. We I just had a, a phone call with WME, uh, who represents us. Uh, they're our, our agency, our booking agency, but uh, someone from their podcast space. And um, they were talking to me about how we could go to a particular streaming platform. Yeah. And as long as we're willing to read ads for them. And she was like, well, you know, how much do you make from your little Patreon thing? And she's like, oh, you make like... 30 times that if you went to this platform I'm like that yeah. sounds awesome but I can't read ads for other people right mm-hmm, like right. I'm not allergic to money but I am allergic to being beholden yeah. to 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 advertisers or gatekeepers or people who are telling me what I'm supposed to say yeah. and when I'm supposed to say it. Yeah, Josh, I need you to, you know, tone it down on those jokes. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You need to say African-American next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Hey, so you, what do we do? What do you mean? What do we do as human oh. beings? Uh, we are, an, and as, as, as Americans, but yeah. Yeah, only about, about 50% of the podcasts are, are, are Americans, uh, or of the listenership are, are Americans. So what do we do as, uh, as humans? Uh, because, to I mean, what, to, clearly to, to, to every- To combat this, to fight this? Yeah, to, I mean, yeah. every country besides this is more racist than America anyway. <laughs> So if you live outside of America, you're even in a worse situation than where we are. We need to get these other countries, man, to get their act together. <laughs> no, um, no it, it's, it's fascinating to me because we want to shout a lot on social media, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you notice there was no shouting here today. There's a lot of listening and trying to understand. I want to listen a lot more and understand when we do this Maximal episode together as well. And we're going to dive deeper into some things that are even more contentious, I feel like. But if we're leaving listeners with something to do... I mean, to me, if, if I'm prescribing yeah. something, it's trying to understand people better. Yeah. Ryan and I have a formula for understanding people. It's an acronym, Tara, yeah. tolerate, uh, accept, mm. um, respect, and then eventually appreciate. That's all. Those are big steps. So you, the first step is tolerance. I think it's a really weak virtue. You don't just want to tolerate people uh, because you, who that doesn't feel very good. But that, that is the first step toward understanding. Someone is tolerating that someone mm-hmm. has a, a different belief, uh, a different set of values, a different set of standards or expectations from you. And, and so we have to, to, to start with that weak first step. But from there, we're able to accept. Like, okay, I'm accepting that we're different. Maybe we have different uh, opinions. Maybe we voted for different people i can accept that right and then eventually i can respect the fact that ryan in the 2016 election voted for someone different from me 
not just accepting mm. it, but I respect that he is an individual human being yeah. and we don't have to agree on everything. And I respect him as a human yeah. and therefore I respect the decisions he makes, even though I would may not make the same decision. Yeah. And ultimately the final giant leap is to appreciate. Yeah. And I, in you can, you know, it's Jonathan Franzen who said, you can love a whole human without liking every piece of them. Yeah. And, and I think that's ultimately how we understand someone. We, we get through that whole process of tolerance all the way to appreciation for someone. And so, so there, there's something about understanding people here that, that I think we can do. Mm -hmm. TK, what, what do you think we can do? Yeah, you know, if, if I were to gather a group of people in the, in, into a room and, and our goal was to come up with the solution to a problem, my first question to myself would not be, what's the solution? My first question would be, do I have the right people in the room, mm. right? Um, if we're gonna have conversations about solution, solutions, I think the first step is to expand the boundaries of that conversation, to expand the space within which that conversation happens. Too many conversations about what we should do happen amongst the same people. Right, it's the same group of people having the same conversation, so that makes it difficult for us to challenge our own thinking. That makes it difficult for us to step outside of our own habitual thought patterns and discover something new. It, it leads to what I call creative solipsism. In philosophy, solipsism is the position that I am the only one that exists, and everything else exists inside my own consciousness. Creative solipsism is when your ideas for how to solve problems, for how to create solutions, it all comes from you and from social circles that reflect you. And so I, what the challenge that I would make, because I don't think talk is cheap. I think talk is very costly if you're having the right kind of conversations mm -hmm. with the right kind of people. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that talk can challenge you to the core. My challenge to people would be, go seek out conversations with people that you haven't had conversations with before, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and go take on that challenge. But I might offend them. Well, those are the kinds of conversations you need to be in because yeah. if you don't know what you need to do and avoid in order to not be offensive and that kind of frightens you, then that means there are some spaces that you haven't familiarized yourself with. Mm -hmm. That means there are some spaces that you haven't explored. That means you've been in your comfort zone. You should never have all of your conversations in a space where you know exactly what to expect mm. from that other person, right? You know exactly how to play it safe because that's what makes it easy for us to hide. And and, and so I'm, I'm all about saying, hey, instead of me putting down three, four ideas or giving you a fish so you can eat for the day, let me teach you how to fish so you can eat for a lifetime. And the way that you do that is create greater space around the conversations that you have. Talk with people that ain't like you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would add to that is uh, you should talk less and listen more to those people. It's, yeah. 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 yeah, I think that you know that that's one thing I learned, especially Ryan, when we were doing the the quarantine conversations over the mm -hmm. which you did one of those with me, TK, uh, f over on Patreon. We did forty of these quarantine conversations, and at the beginning, I found myself talking a lot. And as I listen back, I'm like, oh, why didn't I just give them more room? And and mm -hmm. and part of that giving them more room is being comfortable. Mm -hmm. with some silence mm -hmm. or being comfortable with a little bit of discomfort mm -hmm. or awkwardness. And if we can do that, if we can make the room 
that then yeah, it's that's minimalism, right? When when you when you declutter your home, mm-hmm. there's a particular calm there. But the process is a bit awkward mm-hmm. in between. And we're gonna have some awkward conversations, but in a weird way you're sort of decluttering the the preconceived notions. You're decluttering the comfort in a way as well. You're letting go of that need for perpetual comfort. We don't want to be wrapped in bubble wrap. We don't want our conversations to be wrapped in bubble wrap either. Sometimes they're going to be raw. They're going to be honest. And something that's raw, I had to have this, this conversation with our editor of our next book, uh, Love People Use Things. Uh, there's a whole chapter in there about truth. And I'm like, the truth isn't neat and tidy. Right. And, and it, it's strangely complex. Now, our job is to simplify that. But when you simplify, it is going to be messy. And so some of these conversations you're talking about, TK, they're going to be messy and you might you might pay an emotional price for that but i think you'll grow in the process and and hey man i'm i'm living by example right here i'm i'm being truly honest when i say that if you give me any topic to talk about based on what i enjoy and what i live for i'm taking personal development every single time i want to talk about human potential mm-hmm. i want to talk about expanding your sense of possibility mm-hmm. i want to talk about achieving your dreams i want to talk about solving conflict in your personal relationships i want to talk about building your self-esteem that's the kind of stuff that fires me up mm-hmm. you know but when there's a discussion on something like this it's it's riskier right like th- this is a space where like i'm far more likely to make somebody upset than if I'm just talking about, you know, how we all have the right to pursue our dreams, right? Yeah. And I'm far more likely to get something wrong than if I just stay in a safer environment of like, hey man, like work hard, do the best that you can, man. Don't know, don't let nobody tell you that they go, you know, you can't <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just so much more difficult, man. Yeah. But but I don't run from it. I don't I don't I don't avoid it. I don't beg people not to do it. I, I think we need role models that are willing to step up and say, you know what? I don't know everything about this. I'm open to learning, but I'm not afraid of this. You know, um, I, I made up my mind a long time ago that I'm never gonna let people see me squirm with any question they ask me. Mm. I'm never gonna beg for relief when it comes to a certain question or topic. I'm just gonna, if, if you give me something that I don't want, then I'm gonna run into it even faster, right? Because that's where growth is. Like run towards those conversations that mm. you're afraid to happen. TK, we got a lot more to talk about on the Maximal episode. Uh, If y'all want to check that out, theminimalists.com slash support. That'll be out on Thursday. Follow TK Coleman on Twitter at TK underscore Coleman. I think you're at official TK Coleman on Instagram. Is that right? right. That's right. I'm official now. (laughs) (laughs) You get the check. Uh, Check out his website as well, uh, tkcoleman.com. He has a great blog over there. Make sure you subscribe to that. Uh, Wonderful thoughts from TK Coleman. And then um, you've got uh, your show. Revolution of One, fee.org slash rev1. Everything I just mentioned, you don't have to write down if you're driving or something. It'll all be in the show notes. By the way, if you want our show notes in your inbox, just sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. We'll also send you our simple Sunday emails each week. If you have a comment, question, or minimalism tip for our podcast, you can send a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can also follow The Minimalists on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Minimalists. You can see one of our live podcast shows, which TK is going to be at one of them. I think the Sacramento show, is that right? right? That's right. Yeah, man. So uh, we got a bunch of shows coming up um, once this whole quarantine business is over. You can find those at theminimalists.com slash tour. I think that's all we got right now. Uh, We'll see you on the Maximal episode later this week. We've got a lot more to talk about. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. The opposite never works. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.